The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Membership is uh, a matter of wanting to belong. So anyone who wants to be part of the Sangha, you are part of the Sangha, just so you know. So I want to talk about um, effort today, the practice of effort. And just notice, if you can, what quality of response do you have in your being as I bring up the word effort? Is that, uh, when I say that word, do you feel a sense of like connecting to having to work hard? Or... Uh, a sense of I don't want to think about effort. Just I think this word is um, what it points to is incredibly important. But um, our relationship to the idea of it may not be as useful as it could be. Effort is actually the most common quality that is listed by the Buddha for awakening. Effort is woven into everything we do. It's the stuff of energy. And it seems to me that it takes on the resonance or the tone of whatever is guiding, inspiring, or directing it. In particular, the qualities of the heart and the presence or absence of wisdom can really be noted in our our efforts. And... um, to me, uh, recognizing the, the visible, experiential results of making effort is something that's always possible. We can really tune in to the kind of effort we're making by noticing the results of what we're doing. And I'm going to talk a lot more about that, but... And um, I guess I'll say this other thing, which is that, um, you know, we always, we, have a, we always have choice, and whether that's conscious or unconscious choice, um, habitual choice, there's always some choice happening. And uh, with the teachings of the Buddha and the science of neuroscience, neuroplasticity, I think it's particularly useful to to use effort to cultivate mind states that are beneficial to ourselves, others, and, and both. And if we aren't kind of consciously tuning in to the kind of effort we're making or what we're doing. The results of what we're doing are going to be determined by our past karmic efforts, our past behaviors, our habits and patterns. This will shape the, the mind. This will shape what happens in our next moment. So I'm going to kind of go through a... a a long list of things that I want to cover because I actually don't know how much of this I will cover, so I'm going to kind of give bullet points of all the different things that, that I've been sort of reflecting on around this, this 
quality of our life, our experience. So there's a beautiful sutta called, um, it's about Sona, who's a monk, who's practicing. And the Buddha comes to talk to him when Sona is about ready to give up his practice and return to lay life. And the Buddha shows up and and uh, really, essentially, the, the teaching is, and hopefully I'll come back to the sutta, is that our mind is like an instrument. And the way that we play it is like we play an instrument. He was a musician. Zona was. And so when we play music, we can notice the tone, right? And we can notice how hard we're strumming or the effort we're putting into playing. So the Buddha essentially is teaching Sona, you can work with your mind the same way you play an instrument. So we are our own instrument. Our, our mind, our body, our hearts are our own instrument. It's, um, you know, everything we do requires some amount of effort or energy regardless of our consciousness choice of these things we can learn a lot from the effort we're making sort of a window into um, you know it becomes what we're doing internally becomes visible in our experience and our actions the results of our actions and there's uh, different types of effort needed at different times Um, in general there's um, effort that requires activity in a way, and there's effort that requires receptivity, opening up, allowing, receiving. And it's uh, a dynamic thing. What is needed um, is always going to change. Something that we need to tune into, like an instrument. When we travel, when we do various things, set it down, Temperature affects the tone and the quality of the music. Another question for me around effort and noticing is, where aren't we applying effort? Where aren't we putting effort into our lives, into our practice? And where aren't we noticing the effort? I, in high school, I volunteered in the in a classroom where people who were neurodiverse or learning diverse, and I was profoundly impacted by um, one of the uh, preparation exercises I did that was given to me by the teacher who runs that classroom. And what she said is to go home and sit down and write out instructions for tying your shoe. I was shocked as I started to try and articulate step by step with words what it took to tie a shoe. Try it. (laughs) Yeah. Another important thing to um, 
you know, know in the Buddhist teachings on wise effort, the function of effort is to increase the wholesome and decrease the unwholesome. The Buddha teaches that there are four types of wise effort. So there's lots and lots of types of effort, but the four types of wise effort are efforts that um, can be kind of summarized in this very simple way. If it's not bad, don't make it worse. If it's bad, stop. So these are kind of moving toward acts of renunciation, right? Letting go or stopping. And if it's, if it's not good, make it good, wholesome, supportive. And if it's already good, sustain or maintain the goodness, the wholesomeness. So those are the four types of wise effort. And to know if we're, um, you know, what kind of effort's needed, we really, again, need to bring our awareness back to what we're trying to do and how its impact is. And then um, one of my final points, not that it will be the last thing I talk about, but um, effort is uh, very, I feel like it's very much impact, but impacted by the stirring of the heart, resonance of the heart energy. And there's this, uh, when the heart lifts up, when the heart is bright, you know, inspired, maybe you can just think about a moment of that and what happens. There's a natural just following of energy and has a, a certain vitality or quality to it that can really support the, um, the capacity to receive, um, to open up, which is a, a form of efforting, right? But to be receptive instead of active. A lot of what we think about, I think, in my mind anyway, with when, when we connect with effort is the energy we need to exert. So a very simple analogy might be a scooter. I have a scooter. And uh, when we start to ride the scooter, we need to take the foot, pump, 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 right? But then, at some point, it's very skillful to stop putting the foot down and just glide, right? That's actually Gill's simile. I have my own later, but it's a, it's a good one, right? <laughs> so um, let me talk a little bit about Sona. The venerable Sona was meditating in seclusion. He was off, you know, in the woods and doing walking, after doing walking meditation, um, which he did until the skin of his soles of his feet were split and bleeding. And so after he's like, oh, this, this thought rose in his mind, which is of the blessed one's disciples who have aroused their persistence. So effort here, right? I am one. But my mind is not released from the effluence through lack of clinging, sustenance. So then he thinks, so now my family has enough wealth. It, it would be possible to enjoy that wealth and make merit. So what if I were to disavow training, to return to the lower life, enjoy wealth and make merit? And in the 
beautiful little story. Somehow the Buddha hears. He's nowhere near, but somehow the Buddha hears. <laughs> and then magically appears right in front of Sona, right after he has this thought. And then the Buddha says, hmm, did you just have this thought? And he repeats the thought. And Sona says, yes, Lord. So the Buddha says, now what do you think, Sona? Before when you were a house dweller, were you skilled at playing the vina? Yes, Lord. It's a string instrument. And what do you think? When the strings of your vina were too taut, was your vina in tune and playable? No, Lord. <laughs> and when you think, what do you think? When the strings of your vina were too loose, was your vina in tune and playable? No, Lord. <laughs> and then the Buddha says, And what do you think? When the strings of your vina were neither too taut nor too loose, but tuned, established, to be on the right pitch, was your vina in tune and playable? Yes, Lord. And so the Buddha says, in the same way, Sona, over-aroused persistence, over-efforting, over leads to restlessness. Over-slack persistence leads to laziness. Thus, you should determine the right pitch for your persistence, a tune, you know, and... Uh, Use yourself as an instrument, right? Those, those words were mine. So maybe just take a moment to think about um, how this might be relevant for you in your practice. Where might you notice that um, it's almost like becoming brittle when we over-effort, when we're striving, right? There's too much pushing. There's a tightness contracting for me in the mind and body. And when there's not enough, you know, we might fall asleep or we drift, we dream, right? We don't hold our posture. So just this is our instrument. This is sort of the visible results of our effort can be seen in just this simple way. So I mentioned, you know, how critical effort is in the Buddhist teachings, right? So I'll just read a couple of sutta quotes. This one's from the Dhammapada, actually, just to give you a sense of how much value the Buddha placed on it. Better than 100 years, 100 years lived, lazy and lacking in vigor, there's the effort in vigor, is one day lived with vigor and exertion. And then the other, uh, this is from the Visuddhimagga. When initiated properly, it, meaning effort, should be seen as the root of all attainments. The root of all attainments. So there's a list of the 37 factors of enlightenment, and it's a comprised of a bunch of lists including four foundations of mindfulness. Oh, no, that one's not listed. Four supreme efforts, four means to accomplishment, four st five strengths, noble eightfold path, seven factors of enlightenment. And there are five frequently found uh, qualities in those lists. Those five qualities are faith, 
energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. So of these qualities, faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, what do you think is the most common one? If You know, what would you think? Well, the one that's listed the most is energy, effort, nine times. Faith is listed twice, mindfulness eight times, so right up there. Concentration four times, wisdom five times. So I mentioned uh, the value of learning from the effort that we make. Um, the effort we make will have different results in our lives. Um, Let's see. One of the, um, the Buddha's emphatic invitations was to come and see for yourself. Don't just believe what I teach, right? Try it for yourself. The Dharma is, uh, is very incomplete if it's only uh, something we believe or think about. The Dharma is to be engaged with, to be practiced. And we need to make an effort to do that. And if we aren't attuning to the quality of our effort, we might sit down, close our eyes, sit up straight, try and stop the thoughts, <laughs> get really serious about meditating, and have a horrible experience meditating, and decide at the end, I suck, I can't do this, I tried really hard, and I'm not going to do it again. Forget it, I can't do it. This is a gross exaggeration for a purpose, right? Just to, to really kind of step back and say, when we have a practice a session or our experience and interaction in our lives, something we're working on, when, when it doesn't go well, there's a lot to tune into, not just, you know, just really, there's so much subtlety in this area. There's so much subtlety. And there's that heart quality I mentioned, right? What, what, where is the heart in relationship to what we're doing? Based on what I was describing about, you know, sitting down and making all this effort to meditate properly, where was the heart in that? For me, in the way I was describing it, there wasn't really heart in that. It was more of a striving to do something perfect, to become a meditator, to be a good meditator, to have a certain kind of experience. A heart quality when we sit down to meditate would be much more like, you know, well, I care about what I see in my mind. I care about how I'm staying in my body and my heart. May I have a sense of kindness to myself and to what arises. You know, these, this is a, a kind of a setting the tone of a practice. So, 
just in summary with that section of what I'm talking about, right, which is we can learn from the effort we make by noticing the results of what we're doing and not assuming that um, we can't change the results if we don't change our approach, change the quality of the heart, what's guiding us, and what kind of effort we're putting in. So the next kind of point I wanted to make was different types of effort are needed at different times, obviously. Sometimes, um, (laughs) yeah, no, I definitely hear this from people. um, They're trying to figure out what the right amount of effort is to put into a practice. Um, One of the things I love to teach is loving-kindness practice, and... um, I remember this person was I was talking about the effort we bring, right? Really paying attention to the effort we bring to that practice. And one of the yogis was really trying to think about, okay, how do I find that perfect amount of effort? And uh, feeling a little frustrated because he couldn't get the same results in his practice every time. And it's it's uh, because you know, like everything, our mind is never the same twice, right? What's happening in our life and our hearts and our bodies changes all the time. The presence or absence of pain, presence or absence of conflict, presence or absence of a concentrated mind or a distracted mind. These things, our minds are constantly changing. So, the effort needed for a distracted mind is going to be very different than the than, um, effort needed for a, kind of a mind that's grounded, settled, whole. So it's our habit, because of how we are designed genetically, biologically speaking, to kind of have these shortcuts for everything we do, like tying our shoes. And if we aren't tuning in to um, that, we might end up bringing effort that is not wise effort to whatever interaction, meditation, whatever it is we're doing. When I, um, I've been a, a swimmer, on and off throughout my life, you know, various times I'm, I have a membership to a pool and I swim a lot and then there's periods of time in my life where that wasn't happening so much. In the last, um, in the most recent return to swimming, I was just so happy to be back in the pool. And I, I'm someone who I just, I don't like to swim inside. I like to swim outside, right? And that's because of, for me, my mind is very much impacted by the open sky, the sense of openness. And, of course, when it's blessed enough to be sunny, that feeling of the warmth. But also the smell. In a enclosed pool, the smell of the chlorine is quite strong. So there's all these things about swimming outside that I particularly love. And so when I first got back in the pool, I was all about just enjoying being outside and the sky and the sun. And I was just very much like 
you know, working on my form, just taking my time, remembering the form, getting the the body back into kind of and look up, looking at YouTube's about current swim techniques, and but in this very you know just joyful, relaxed way. And I started to call my swimming a source of sukha, joy, right? I would just have so much joy. And, um, you know, I don't know, for the first couple of years maybe, um, I'd be swimming a lot in the summer, and then when it would get cold in the winter, I just would be like, uh, <laughs> my own body would tense up, and it was just like, I can't, I can't do it. I couldn't deal with the, the, the Vedana, right? The unpleasant Vedana and the coldness. And, uh, you know, and then I'm sort of realizing over time, oh, then I have to kind of start over again every spring or summer and, you know, sort of, and I'm missing out on the, you know, what I, if I continued my practice of swimming, which I consider a mindfulness practice, how that would be beneficial despite the cold. So I started to turn in, tune into what effort I needed to make to, uh, to bring to my swimming, to keep me going. And I remember one day I was, it was really, really raining. It was intensely raining. And I'm walking out, you know, I just wear my suit from the locker room out. I'm not covered up, I'm just going out. And so I'm walking, and I can feel my body wanting to duck. I don't know the best word for that, but to to, to try and avoid the drops of rain. And it was so absurd to see it. I just, it just was very freeing. Actually, it was like, okay, look at this. Just turn toward the Vedana, the unpleasant. Stop reacting. Stop trying to get away from it. And, and, uh, you know, so that was an effort, bringing some effort, right? Noticing my response, right? And so my effort maybe would have been to just get out to the pool as fast as I can, right? That was sort of like, putting a lot of energy, noticing, oh, when I'm doing that, that just is kind of fueling this sense of reactivity or negativity, right? This um, unpleasantness. And so then the effort needed to shift to receiving, to being okay, to staying with and not trying to get away from the coldness or the raindrops, which is impossible anyway. And uh, just then over time, learning to swim through the winter, right? Swim through the winter, Another uh, really significant thing I noticed about um, making effort with swimming was uh, when I decided it was time to pick up my pace. Uh, you know, I, I needed to start to swim a little bit faster. I wanted to. I was conditioned enough. I was swimming, you know, no problem distances and, and amount of time, no struggle at all. So it was just time to kind of try and pick it up. And so... Um, what I started to notice was that when I'd get out of the pool after making th- this extra physical effort, was I, I wasn't feeling that sense of joy. I wasn't feeling that sense of uplift from my swimming. So I started to watch what was happening in the mind as I was swimming, and it was like when I was pushing, efforting to go faster, and you know, this might be just fine because it might be the kind of effort I needed at that time, right? Maybe to kind of increase my conditioning. But what I noticed was that it was almost like pulling a hood up and over my body, my head. It was like 
my senses, everything kind of honed into this smaller point. I stopped seeing the light in the water, right? Sort of having these blinders on. And it was like just contract. There was this contracting. And so then I started to work on trying to have effort with the swimming while opening up, while working with the mind to be open and receptive and trying to find this balance, right? This right tunement to the, the, how tight the strings were, right? Um, when we're in, on retreat, um, any of you go on residential retreats? Yeah? Well, one of the great things about going on retreat is you know, everything becomes sort of under a microscope, right? Because you start to get more and more kind of simplified and everything's more clear. And for me, I could so much see the um, how much effort needed to change all the time. Um, sometimes if I had a really concentrated sit, um, I needed to go out and do fast-paced walking, right? I needed to balance out what was happening, Sometimes we need to walk slow, sometimes we need to walk fast, sometimes moderately attuning to the body. Sometimes during the course of a retreat, you'll see it's better to sit longer sits. And um, sometimes we have to consider what's happening in our bodies, and maybe we don't go to the hall for the sits because we need to sit less time, right? So... um, other things that sort of really helped, you know, that were examples of taking effort would be to reflect on the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the three jewels, right? Could, would be a way of sort of brightening the heart, and that would affect the energy I brought to my practice. Or one of my favorite things is to go out and look up. Look up at the sky. It's like something about it for my mind. It's just like, oh, yeah, I remember how to be open. I remember that, taking in the light and that sense of broadness. Sometimes I think about effort as having um, the quality of a temperature or consistency to it, right? Like, and I'm, I'm offering this because we all... All of our minds and hearts attune differently. We might notice different things. So I was just going to offer a couple other thoughts about how to be paying attention to your own, you know, the results of your own effort. So there's effort that can feel cold and hard and brittle, right? That's often thought of as striving. And there's effort that can feel like it's hot and saggy, right? Um, and then there's the, the not too hot and not too cold, right? Middle way. Sometimes I think about, um, I can feel in my body, and I have this image of an ostrich. And it's like, is my effort right now like an ostrich with its head in the sand? Like I'm not really looking, I'm not really doing anything, I'm just kind of shutting down? Or is it like an ostrich running, right? And you know, when I think about an ostrich running, it's like they're running that way and thinking about what they're running away from or something, you know? It's just not this taking in and then there's like being more upright right the here's another dharma quote the dharma is for those who are industrious 
not those who are lazy. That's from the Anguttara. So I'm, I guess I'm inviting by sharing all of this. This is kind of industrious, creative ways of thinking about and seeing effort. And uh, I think we do need to be really receptive and sensitive and tuned in and creative in how we work with our own effort and bring the heart and the wisdom to it. Hmm. So, um, where aren't we putting in effort or where aren't we paying attention to our effort in our lives? This is a question for me too. You know, the practice can be everywhere in our lives, right? Not just on the cushion. And, uh, you know, one thing is... um, There, there is effort needed to even orient toward the wholesome because our, the negativity bias in the mind, right? Rick Hatson calls it the negative sticks like Velcro and the positive stick uh, is like an egg in a Teflon pan. And this is sort of the hard wiring or the soft wiring of the brain is to uh, orient us toward that which is more of a threat than that which is a gift, and uh, But we can counterbalance that tendency by consciously resting our awareness and being receptive to the good by savoring or appreciating, being grateful. And this is an effort too. Another area um, that I think there might be a, a certain amounts of... Uh, places where there's maybe a not noticing, a sense of, um, you know, delusion maybe even, or taking kind of things for granted in our lives. There's often in those areas pockets of not bringing appropriate effort to things. And I think some of that is around identity, like who we think we are, right? We sort of just kind of can get going in a groove, and um, just sort of assume we're a certain way, right? And, and if you think about that, what I was talking about, we're constantly changing. Our minds are changing. Our hearts are changing. But if we think, oh, I'm a patient person, right, because we have this idea about ourselves, we're not maybe going to notice when we're being impatient so much, right, at least not in the beginning. There's also things like... Um, that we can bring more awareness and more effort in our lives that can make a big difference. And those might be things like, where do we have areas of assumptions in general about others? Where, where do we make effort? Some people are really good at learning people's names, and some people aren't. And some of that might be just the way our minds are, but some of it is, how much effort are we bringing to learning people's names or how they pronounce their names? Is that important to us? Does our heart see the value of that? So 
Here's a little quote from Winton Higgins. We can live ethically without caring about ourselves, or we can't, I'm sorry, we can't live ethically without caring about ourselves as well as others. And we can't be mindful without caring about what is happening here and now. Care underpins the radical attention the Dharma practice accentuates. So to tie that piece together with caring can help us bring more awareness and effort to the areas where we maybe aren't tuning in and could tune in more. So I'm going to try and just say a few more things and wrap up and allow time for reflections or questions. Just a reminder, the function of effort is to arouse and maintain wholesome states. So, let's see. And actually in the um, you know, description of the of effort in the Visiddhi Magga, it says vigor is the state of virya energy. Its characteristic is exertion. Its function is to support or consolidate related mental qualities. It's manifest as non-collapse. And stirred, one strives wisely. So stirring of the heart, right? It's that stirring of the heart that helps bring wisdom to our efforts. So it's, uh, again, I just think it's super poignant space for practice. I think it's so much immediate feedback, right? Right here and now, if we notice, sort of, and play with the kind of effort and the kind of heart quality, you know, we bring. It's it's very tied to, you know, wise intention and wise view, right? All of these path factors are, it's, and last night, of course, I was thinking about this talk, and I had this dream, and I had, in my dream, I had this image of um, granite and how all the different minerals and colors weave together. And, you know, I think this is the Dharma, right? Any, any place you enter, you can pretty much find everything else in the Dharma. So for me, I'm just sort of offering effort as one of those ways in, ways through in the window of kind of le- learning and seeing in our practice, getting more intimate with this. So the four right efforts. If it's not yet arisen, and if it's not making it worse, don't make it worse. If things, whatever's happening is making it worse, stop. If what we're doing isn't making it better, start. If what we're doing is making it better, keep it up. 
Abandoning what is unskillful is letting go. Developing what is skillful is cultivation. This important balance even here between the cultivation and the letting go. So we need to sort of be ardently tuned into the results because life is dynamic. It's always changing. I've seen with people that, um, maybe even with myself, but uh, I'm a therapist, so I do a lot of work with others. And I've seen where they're trying to abandon something that's unskillful, something that's making something worse. They're trying to stop it. And what actually happens is the reverse. Things get worse. Anybody ever experienced that? (laughs) No? Well... Sometimes if we're having a thought, maybe I'll make it a little more sort of specific. If we're having a thought we don't want to have because it's hurtful or we think it's harmful, what happens when you try and stop that thought? Has anybody ever noticed that it gets a little louder, sticks around a little longer? Yeah. So sometimes... Instead of trying to make something stop, actually, what we need to do is not be trying to make anything happen to it, to let it be, and maybe turn our heart, our energy towards something that feels supportive, like being kind to ourselves with this thought. Yeah. And sometimes when we're trying to cultivate a sense of wholesomeness in ourselves. So this was an example of trying to get rid of something that's, you know, not not wholesome, not helpful. And we get the opposite. And sometimes when we're trying to cultivate something that feels wholesome, like loving kindness, we actually start to find our mind becoming more prickly, more irritated, more critical. So even though we're doing loving-kindness practice and that's supposed to make us happy and warm and kind, we need to maybe stop doing the loving-kindness practice. Right? And just sort of recognize that that in itself at this moment is resulting in unwholesome states. So in a way we feel like... I just, I just really want... One other thing, I guess. Sometimes... We're doing all four at the same time, essentially. They don't, they're not always so independent from each other. Okay. All right. So I think I did it. <laughs> I got through all the points. <laughs> so I'll just kind of go through them very, you know, to summarize. We're our own instrument, the Sona Sutta. Effort is extremely important in the role of awakening and freedom. Everything we do requires effort or energy to some extent or not, whether it's exertion or receptivity. We can learn so much by watching the effort we're making and then the results of that effort. It's always going to change. Staying attuned, so reflecting before, during, and after. It's always important. Where aren't we applying effort? 
Or where aren't we noticing the effort we're putting into things? The function of effort and wise effort is to increase the wholesome and decrease the unwholesome. The heart, the stirring of the heart, is extremely supportive for the the effort we make. Finding some quality that is has some warmth or tenderness to it to varying degrees, right, can help us, you know, you know, play our own selves with care. All right, I think that's it. Thank you for your kind attention. And um, I think we're supposed to end right now. Is that right? 1045?